Hey, can you turn with me to Mark chapter 10? I, I, I was going to preach uh, this morning. I've got a message out of Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. We've been speaking about responsibility, taking responsibility. We've been speaking about um, choices, making right choices and decisions and, and taking ownership of our world and the things that are going on. And uh, so over the course of the last few weeks, I've had different conversations with people and people have been, been saying that they're getting stuff out of it and they've been blessed by it. And, and I'm sure that uh, well, my prayer is that God has been pointing to areas of our life, areas of our world over the last three weeks, whatever I've been talking about this, where maybe you've, you've got some areas of your world. You're going, right, I, I get it. I understand that in order to have a future that's flexible enough for change, I've got to take responsibility. I've got to uh, realise that I have a certain amount of control over things. Not everything that happens to me do I have control to, but how I respond to those things, I do have control to those, those things. And good things have happened to us and bad things have happened to us and will continue to happen to us. But in the mix of it all, we still have to take responsibility if we want our future to be flexible enough to be the kind of future that we, we envision that we want or to be the kind of future that God wants for us as well. So we've been talking about this for the last three weeks. And Matthew 25, I've got a great message I've preached before that came to mind. I thought, I'm going to get that one out and we're going to go down through this, talk about the characteristics of responsible people. I had one of those moments where you just know God says, no, not, not, not now. I, I, I want to show you something else. So I picked up uh, Mark chapter 10. I felt like the Lord gave me the story of what we would call the, the rich young ruler. And I want to share some thoughts out of it this morning with you. And I'm kind of going to play this by ear and got a few little notes there, but I'm terrible at notes anyway. And we'll see where we end up. But at the end of the service today, what I want to do is I'm going to actually open up the front. I want to pray. About handful of years ago, I was an associate pastor. I threw the towel in, resigned, didn't want to do it anymore. Had made my mind up that I will never be doing what we're doing now ever again. And I got an invitation to preach in a church. And I went and preached in the church. And at the end of it, I did what we do. And, you know, we opened it up for prayer and everyone came forward. And I remember walking up to the first person to pray for them. And as I went up to pray for them, God said to me, what are you doing? I just felt the Holy Spirit's voice in the inside say, what are you doing? And this is how the conversation went. I just said to him, well, I'm praying for people. And here's what he said to me. He said, why? <laughs> and you know what my answer was? Well, that's what you do. That's what we do. And at the end of a service, we call everyone forward and we pray. And, yeah, it's just what you do. Now, nothing wrong with doing that, but you've probably noticed, those of you that have been here long enough, we don't every Sunday specifically call people out for prayer. If you would like prayer, we have leaders here and we will pray for you at any point. But we don't always every Sunday finish with let's come forward for prayer. But there are moments and seasons where I really feel like God lays on my heart to make the invitation. And today, those days, so at the end of the service today, I'm going to make the invitation for you to come up the front here. We've got some... Uh, is in the church and some people on ministry teams that are going to come forward and pray for you. So just, just to lay a bit of a platform, I don't, I don't uh, do this just because it's a great way to end a service. As you would know, most times we don't. Um, but today I just really feel like God wants to uh, speak to some people, touch some people, encourage some people, motivate some people, move some people, shift some, some stuff in people's lives. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. We don't make anything happen, but we are vessels and we lay hands and we pray. I believe in the laying on uh, of hands. I believe there's an impartation. I believe that God does things. I also believe that coming, standing up at a seat, stepping out of your chair, coming to the front is an act of faith. It's, it's your way of practicing. 
God, this situation is obviously there and I don't know, what, but it's an act of faith. You want to meet me today and do something, I'm going to get up, I'm going to come forward and I'm going to humble myself and, and, and get prayer. So I believe that there's, and God responds to faith. You know, God loves faith when we take faith steps. And the Bible is full of man taking a step, doing something, and then God's power coming in and God changing situations. So at the end of the service today, I want to open up the front um, for us to, to have a bit of prayer. Luke, can you run the clip for me? I just want to show you a clip before I, I, I speak. Again, this is the USS Montana requesting that you immediately divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Over. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. This is Captain Hancock. You will divert your course. Over. Negative, Captain. I'm not moving anything. Change your course. Over. So, this is the USS Montana, the second largest vessel in the North Atlantic Fleet. You will change course 15 degrees north, or I will be forced to take measures to ensure the safety of this ship. Over! This is a lighthouse, mate. It's your call. <laughs> Hello? Captain? I think he's gone. Fair enough. Well, when I watched it, I certainly got more out of it than you guys did. I'll give it that much. Right? You're a hard audience, I'll tell you what, sometimes. Here's this ship, but it's heading down a certain course. And at a certain juncture, there's something in the way. And obviously, the arrogant uh, sailor captain thinks, well, I'm going to keep going, and you're going to shift out of my way. I'm just going to keep going. And he gets a call back for those that... I'll say it, and you might laugh then. It was a lighthouse he was talking to. <laughs> So he's saying to the lighthouse, hey, we're a big ship, we're coming through, you better move. And in the end, the guy goes, look, I'm a lighthouse. Your call. Keep going the way you're going and you're going to run into the rocks or turn around and go a different, take a different course of action and maybe save yourself. You know, I think about life like that. And I think our lives are all going on a course. They're all heading in a direction. You know, I'm hoping that in the last few days, the last few Sundays, that God's been speaking to you. Maybe, maybe you've sat back and gone, you know what, my marriage is not exactly where I want it to be. It can be better. God's got a vision for it. I've now got a picture of what I want it to be like. And so here's what I want, but here's where I am. And I'm plotting a course, a journey to get to that place. Maybe just as a person, maybe there's parts of your character and nature that you, here's where I am in this place of dissatisfaction and I realise that I have some control. I don't have to stay here. And so now I've got a vision or a picture or a target of where I'm heading to, to move from dissatisfaction to satisfaction in that part or area of my life. Maybe it's financial goals. Maybe, uh, it's, maybe you've got bitterness, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, and you know that it's part of the blockage to you getting to that place. There's dissatisfaction here. There's my preferred future. And there's all these uh, emotional things in between there that I just can't seem to deal with to get to the other end. Um, I think about this ship's captain in that clip, and I think I can be like that sometimes. I'm here. I know I want to get to there, and I know how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go straight, and anything in my way is just going to move. But how many of you know things in your way sometimes don't move? Sometimes you've got to move. Sometimes you've got to take a different course. Sometimes you've got to get out of the way. 
Sometimes you've got to change what you're doing. There's an old saying. If the, the definition of insanity is doing the same things the same way and expecting a different result. Anyone ever heard that before? Doing the same things the same way, but expecting a different result. It's, 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 it's termed as, as, as a, loosely as a sort of a joke, as a definition of insanity, but it's so true. It's so true. I can come to church and I can hear a message or I can have God speak to me and be inspired about something and go, right, I've got to go from here to there, but I'm going to keep doing the exact same things that got me here in the first place. I'm not going to change anything. But I want that. But I'm going to do the same things. Well, if you do the same things, you'll end up with the same result. You'll be in the same place you are. New Year's resolutions are a classic. How many people make New Year's resolutions? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But then it lasts for a couple of days. Then you're doing the same thing you did previous 12 months. And at the end of the year, you're standing in the same spot you were before you started. I want to read the story of the rich young ruler and I want to just throw a few different thoughts at you maybe maybe different thoughts to what you've heard before but this is what I felt like God began to say to me and show me this week out of this story it says in in Mark chapter 10 verse 17 now as he was going out on the road one came running knelt before him and asked good teacher what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life this guy was genuine and sincere we know he's rich, we know he's young and a ruler because the same story is also mentioned in Matthew, it's mentioned in Luke. Exact same story and each of them give us a different picture of who this man was. He was rich, young ruler. He, he had it made basically. I mean, if he was alive today, if you're rich, you made it. You've got youth on your side. Well, everybody's trying to get younger and younger and younger, aren't they? We're the fountain of youth and, and you know, we nip-tuck and cut and change and everything because we want to be young because young is the, is the thing. We all want to be rich because with all the money, do whatever you want. And he's a ruler. He's got authority. He's got position. He's got title. I mean, this guy's got it all. But he comes running to Jesus. Not only does he run to Jesus, he falls on his knees in front of him. He falls on his knees in front of him. Here's a guy that's got everything. But somewhere in the mix of it all, there's this deep sense of dissatisfaction. There's a place I want to be. This is what he says. He says to Jesus... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to, 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 to think about this. Jesus responds by saying, you know the commandments. Do this, do that, do this, do that. Let me ask you a question. If I was to come to you today and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What would you say to me? How do I get my foot into the doors of heaven? Is there anything I can do to get there? Do I have to do anything or has somebody done something for me? Can you work your way into heaven? If you obey the Ten Commandments well and you get up there, is God going to go, well, you were good enough, you were something special, you're in, baby? Or is he going to look at you and say, 2,000 years ago I sent my son, Jesus, who hung on a cross and died because you will never be good enough. Did you put your faith in him? You see, when this man comes running to Jesus and says, what must I do to get eternal life? I don't think that he's thinking eternal life post-cross like we would be. And I don't think Jesus heard him say that like we would. What must I do to get it? I think Jesus heard something else. Otherwise, Jesus himself would not have said, do this, do that, do this, do that. It's all about your doings. But Jesus is kind of setting him up. What we've really got here is a guy who's dissatisfied with his life, yet he's got everything, but he's dissatisfied. And somewhere in his dissatisfaction, he's got a picture of what he wants. He wants this thing that he terms eternal life, whatever that is. It's a quality of life that he wants. 
But there's this massive disconnect between where he is and where he wants to be. This big gap, this space. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, help me in the space. Help me fill the space. I know where I'm at. I know that I have bitterness, resentment, anger towards this person. I know that I want to be up there loving them, praying for them, um, moving forward. But there's a massive disconnect between where I am and where I want to be. Jesus, what must I do to get from here to there? What have I got to do? And Jesus says, you know, you've heard all these commandments. And then he says something interesting. After that, keep rolling the verse. Verse 20. He says, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. I love that. Love it. I mean, let's be real. Do you really think this guy was that good that he kept everything perfectly? Do you think Jesus at that moment couldn't have turned around and gone, ah, <laughs> excuse me? Do you remember when? Eh? Eh? Gotcha. It's like the woman caught in adultery. Jesus could have, when he said, if you are without sin, cast the first stone. Legally, he could have cast the first stone because he was without sin. There was one there that could have done it, but he didn't. Because God's not predisposed towards judging us and anger with us. He He loves us. He loves us. And the Bible says that this guy goes, yeah, I've done all these things. What else have I got to do? Because obviously, doing all these things, I've got a whole list of things I've done, but it still hasn't given me what I'm looking for. And how many of us are like that? We've got this place of dissatisfaction, and then there's that place of we know what it should look like, but in the space there, we've done everything we know to do, but we still aren't there. We still can't get it. We're still not standing in that space. I don't want anybody to think or to hear in the last few weeks that I'm talking about self-motivation. Because I'm not. I am in the place I'm in primarily because of self. I make choices and decisions, and some of them put me in a good place, but some of them put me in a really terrible place in life. When I talk about responsibility, I'm talking about taking responsibility for my life for where I am, responsibility to make the decision and the direction and choices to go somewhere, but I do it with the knowledge that it's not me that's going to necessarily get me there because some things are just too big and too hard. If life comes back purely to genetics and what you're motivated to do, some of you are so disciplined it's not funny. My eldest son, Caleb, a very disciplined guy in the areas of life that he wants to be, ill-disciplined in others. I'm the sort of guy that, 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 that wants to be extremely disciplined and structured, but I'm just not. Whether that's a product of upbringing, whether that's a product of DNA or genes, genetics, I wasn't breastfed, I don't know what it is, but for some reason it's really, really a battle for me. My wife can decide I'm going to go walking at four in the morning and she's awake at 3.58, shoes are on and she's out the door at four. I decide I'm going to walk at four in the morning and I walk at four p.m. Maybe, if I'm not tired, which usually I am. So I don't, but I want to, but I can't. It's hard. It's like Paul going, the thing I don't want to do, I do, and the thing I do want to do, I can't do. Who will save me from this body of death? I feel like that sometimes. My brain goes, you want this? This is, this is your eternal life, and this is the dissatisfaction where you are. You want to get there, and I strive. And, and you know, we can read books. The, the, the self-motivation industry is built around this concept of you're standing here dissatisfied, there's satisfaction, hey, we'll help you get there. Buy my book. Come to my seminar. 
And what happens? We buy the book, we buy the tapes, the C- tapes are plastic things with reels on them, but CDs, we buy the CDs. We go, we hear these guys, we watch them on TV, and they pump us up, pump us up. And we go, yes, I can take on the world in a week's time. We're back where we started. You know why? Anyone seen a movie called School for Scoundrels? Anyone ever seen it? <laughs> I'm not recommending it. I always have to say this every time I mention a quote, a book, I'm not recommending But there's a movie called School for Scandals. The basis of the movie is this. There's a bunch of people, you know the guys that have the self-help books and always listening to Tony Robbins on the CD player. By the way, I'm not bagging these guys. I'm not bagging them. Most of what they're giving you and selling to the world comes out of the Bible anyway. They just don't attach God to it. Okay? And that's why it can work. But here's the thing. The movie is about a bunch of guys that morning with their self-help books and they go to work with their self-help CDs and everything like this. And they realise that there's, they need something a bit more. So they go to this class, it's, called, it's not called School for Scandals, but it's this guy, he gets all these people together, puts them in a secret room, runs this secret class. And the idea is to try to teach them to be confident, to be bold and to be all these things they want to be. But the opening lesson, they all get together in this room and here's all these guys and he stands in front of them and here's what he says. And I've never forgot it because I think it's dead right. He says, you're all here today because you, you know, you're the sort of guys that you woke up this morning and you got your self-motivation book on the bench and, and then you jumped in your little car and you drove here with your self-motivation CD running and then while you're in the lift coming up to the lesson, you're quoting your self-help things over yourself every day. I'm the greatest, I can succeed, oh, I'm a winner, all this stuff. And he said, here's the thing, you come in, you sit in here. He said, I want to tell you your biggest problem. You try, your self-help is your problem. You're trying to get help from yourself, but yourself you're trying to get help from yourself but yourself sucks I think that is just fantastic that is awesome and it's the truth and I don't mean to put you down I don't mean to belittle your strengths and your intelligence and your DNA I don't mean any of that but what I mean is this that as Christians we're not talking about self-motivation we're talking about Here I am here where I don't want to be. Dissatisfaction, there's the place of satisfaction. I want to run to Jesus, fall at my knees and go, you've got the answers. Can you tell me how do I get to that place? We don't want to do that. We want the five principles, the seven steps, the three ways. We don't want to get in the face of Jesus. We don't want to ask him the question. We don't want to hear what he has to say to me as an individual. How do I do this, God? Because I don't know how to do it. I know where I want to be. I know where you want me to be. But I can't get there, God. I need your help. We have this thing called the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's better for you if I disappear and chuff off. How many of us have gone, gee, wouldn't it have been great to be one of the 12? Oh, I'd never lose my faith. I'd be so excited. And I'd just follow God, just run. And yet Jesus says, guess what? You're going to be better off when I'm gone. Because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of you to teach you, to help you, to lead you, to guide you. We have that spirit on the inside of us. And so when we hear things in church, like take responsibility, make right choices, all these things, they're great, but please, please, please don't anybody in this church here, anyone in this gathering walk away think I'm saying, you're good enough, you can do it all. You can't. You can't. But Christ inside of us can. Christ inside of us can. This, 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 Psalm 37.4 says this, right? 
It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will what? Give you the desires of your heart. Let me just throw a couple of quick thoughts at you. I'm hoping and praying that over the last few weeks, things that have popped inside of you are desires of your heart. If, if you're in a dissatisfied place and that satisfaction, you want to get there, it's a desire of your heart. You want to be somewhere, it's a desire, right? Here's what, what the psalmist said. He said, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you those desires. But here's the thing. He said he'll give you those desires. If I'm delighting myself in me and in the world and in the flesh, I might desire a bigger house, a bigger car, fame, fortune, popularity. I read a quote from Jim Carrey recently, the famous comedian. Here's what Jim Carrey said. He said, I wish that every person in the world would get everything they wanted, all the money, all the fame and all the possessions, just so they could see it won't make them happy. Jim Carrey said this just recently. I wish everybody got everything so that they would see it won't make them happy. But here's the thing. If we're delighting ourselves in the wrong things, in self, you know, then, then we're going to be having the wrong desires. And we're chasing those things, and guess what? You're going to run into the lighthouse. You're probably going to run into the lighthouse. What the verse is saying is if I delight myself in God, he'll place his desires for my life inside of me. He gives me the actual desires. Now, if I've got my actual desires from God then I can be guaranteed that he is propelling me and helping me every step of the way to get to that place. He's got the answers, the solutions. Why? Because he dropped the desire in there. Sometimes God may drop the desire in there, then we take control. I'm going to make this happen. No, 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 no. God, if, if in the last few weeks you might have realised that his dissatisfaction, their satisfaction, there's a desire, I want to get there, the next thing to do is to get on your knees before God to open up his word, to pray, invite God into that space and say, okay, God, I'm not going to wait another 12 months, wait till New Year's Eve, another resolution, so on, because I'm not doing this in my own strength. God, I'm going to do this with you. You have the answers. You have the solutions. You know the course of action I need to take and you know the directions I need to take to get there. When me and Jackie first got married, we read this book called His Needs, Her Needs. And it listed the top five, great book, by the way, fantastic book, listed the five top needs that a woman has in a marriage and the five top needs a man has in a marriage. Now, here's what happened. We were very smart because we understood straight away the guy that wrote that book, it might have sold over a million copies, but he doesn't know me and he doesn't know her. And so we sat down and we read the needs to each other. Turns out that the five top needs of a man are not actually my five top needs at all, but he's just broad brushing. The five top needs of a woman were not necessarily her five top needs. As a matter of fact, what was number one need was probably number four for me, and so on. So we read it, and we were able to comment to each other and flip it around. Point is this, that we just want somebody to write the book or to tell us or whatever how to, what are the steps I have to take to get there. Well, God knows your heart. God's the only one that knows your journey. God's the one that knows the real reasons why you can't do that. You think you know. And the books will tell you this is the reason why. You're just not that or you don't this. Or... But you know, God knows the real reasons why you're standing in this place of dissatisfaction and what it takes to get there. Jesus says this to him. He says, you know the commandments? Yeah. And he goes through and goes, yep, yep, got it all. In other words, Jesus is saying, you've read all the books? Yeah, I've read all the books. I know all the steps and so on. But hey, guess what? I'm still lacking something. And Jesus says this to him. He says, one thing you lack. And I find this funny. Can you put that verse up for me? Jesus says one thing you lack, and then he tells him three things to do. You know? One thing you lack, but here's three things to do. 
But here's the thing. One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, you know, treasure in heaven, and then take up the cross and follow me. You know what the one thing was he was saying? Follow me. The one thing is follow me. But in order for you to follow me, I know that this is the thing that's stopping you from doing that. So I've placed a desire in your heart for this thing that this man calls eternal life. I've put it there. I want to get you there. I'm committed to getting you there. But what's stopping you getting there is this. So I want you to listen to me. I want you to follow me. But here's what you need to do. Sell it and give to the poor. He's not saying you've got to be poor to get into heaven. He's not saying that you have to sell it. What he's saying is speaking to an individual person, looking at their heart, going, this is how it's going to work for you. If you follow me, I'm taking you to that desire. Why? Because I put it there. I put it there. I gave you the desire to, to be the best person you can, to have the best marriage, to build that business, to raise the best family, to love your kids. To, I put that desire there. So I'm taking you there. Follow me. But you're not going to be able to follow me because you've got this thing that's trapped your heart. What's stopping you following me? The one thing was follow him. That's what Jesus said to everybody. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come. He wanted him to follow him. Because if I'm following Jesus, I'm assured of one thing. Every desire that he's placed in my heart, he's taking me in that direction. So I've got to follow him. And sometimes following him is really tough, as this man found out. See, this man didn't have great possessions. The truth is great possessions had this man. Great possessions had this man. That was the problem. There was something more important to him than Jesus. How can you delight yourself in God if you're more concerned about earthly riches? If that's more your focus, how can you actually be delighting yourself in God? You can't. This is what Jesus is saying to him. He's saying, anyways, I don't want you to follow me, but this is what's going to stop you really following me. That's your desired destination. This is what you want. Follow me. I'm going to take you there, but I know that you're going to jump off because this thing here is tying you back. This is the reason why you're not going to get to that destination because of this. And God who knows the heart and searches the heart knows that stuff. And so we need to go to God. The next step is, I know where dissatisfaction is. I know what I want. The next step is we've got to humbly go before God. Get into his word. Here's the thing. What he asked this man to do, this man didn't do it. Because you have the final choice. Get rid of the images in your head that Jesus jumps in the driver's seat of your life. No, he doesn't. He does not do that. The only thing that jumps in the driver's seat of your life is the devil. Think about it. In the Bible, when somebody had no control over themselves and were being controlled by something else, what did Jesus do in that situation? Come out of him. Come out of him. The Holy Spirit doesn't control you. He won't make you do anything. He leads you. He guides you. He won't make you do anything. That's possession. That's a different thing. Okay? So I like to think of Jesus like a tandem bicycle. And I'm on the front. Anyone been on those tandem bicycles, the front and back seat? I'm on the front. And, and I went on one once. I can't remember whether it was with Jackie or Chloe. I was trying to remember years ago we went on a tandem bike. It was one of you two. And they were sitting on the back. They probably weren't even pedalling, to be brutally honest with you. Because that's, you know, anyone watch them goodies episodes with Bill up the front and he's pedalling along and the other guys got their feet up and they're not even pedalling. I think it's a great image of, of the Holy Spirit and the power of God at work in our life. Here's the deal. We're on the front. The Spirit of God tells me that's the desire. That's where you want to go. I'm, I'm telling you that's, that's what's the best for you. I have control over whether I turn the handlebars that way or I go that way. This man walked away. 
He walked away and he missed what God had for him. He knew he was dissatisfied. He even had a vision of the future and what it could look like. He knew what he was after, but he chose not to go after it. I've got the handlebars. The Spirit of God speaks to me and says, this is where you, this is where you need to go. I'm gonna, I'll get the choice to point it. And then here's what happens. I put my feet on the pedal and I take the first rotation. I do the first rotation. And then by the time I get to that second rotation, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit puts his feet on the pedals and he starts to push. And I get this wonderful thing in my life called momentum. Where doing the right things becomes easier and doing the wrong things becomes more difficult because as soon as I turn that away in another direction, he takes his feet off. He goes with me. He goes with me. Job said, where will I go to flee from your spirit? In your presence, where do I hide? Go up into heaven, you're there. Go to the bowels of hell, you're there. How do I get away from you? I can't. But he's certainly not supporting me in those bad decisions. He's there. He's right there. As soon as I turn that steering wheel back in the right direction and begin that pedaling, he goes, right, I'm in. Proverbs tells us that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, not the intentions, the steps. When we begin to put pedal power and motion to that decision, God comes on him and we get the momentum of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, I want to read you something Paul, the apostle, said about himself. Can I get Christy to come on up, jump up here on the keys for me, Christy? I know we've probably gone a couple of minutes over time, but like I said, I don't every week feel to open it up specifically I do today. I don't know why. I just believe God wants to do something. Uh, here's what Paul said about himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. Paul said, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. If you have a look at Paul's life from the first letter he wrote to the last letter he wrote, he had this journey where the older he got, the more unself-reliant he became. You see, we feel like Christianity, we feel like the journey is we get more confident in ourselves and realise we're more better and we're more bold and we're more this. And, and, and what we do is we slowly take more and more self-involved. Paul's journey, and I'll look at, I'll show, I'll, we'll go through this another time, but Paul's journey from the first time he writes his letters as he progresses through, he gets right to the very end where he says, you know, I'm not even worthy. Towards the back end of his life, he said, this is what I've learned about my walk with God. I'm just not worthy. I'm not worthy. And here's what he says. He says, I'm the least of the apostles who I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I've done a lot of bad and horrible things. I love this bit, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, the grace of God is the power of God. The grace of God is the power of God. And I don't want anybody here thinking, okay, I've got to take responsibility. I know where I am. I'm dissatisfied. I know where satisfaction lies. Now I've got to get there. I don't want to set anybody up for failure. Because there are a lot of places you're not going to get. You know you need to be there, but you need the power of God in your life. You need the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom how to get there. Because you're an individual with an individual journey and a heart that only God knows. The heart's deceitful above all things, the Bible says. I think my heart's this way and God's looking going, it's not. But I'm not going to overwhelm you, Alan, by peeling it back and letting you see what your heart really looks like. That'll probably kill you. So in this journey called discipleship, I'll just show you a little piece by piece as you can deal with it, as you can handle it, and we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Paul says it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. 
And if you want to go from this place of dissatisfaction to this place of satisfaction in your life, you know that this is not where God wants you. See, God places the desire. We acknowledge the desire. We know the destination. We know the end result. Now what we need to do is we need to call out God and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us get there. We need to listen to the Word of God. The wise young ruler listened to the Word of God and said, No, I'm not going to do it your way. And I'll bet you he hit the lighthouse somewhere down the track. Jesus told this little parable of the wise and foolish builder. Man built his house on the rock. Man built his house on the sand. You go and read it in your own time. Both of them, the Bible says, heard the words of Jesus. Both of them. Both of them heard what Jesus had to say. Both of them had a storm come against them. Both of them had the rain. Both of them had the wind. One stood and one fell. And Jesus said this, he said, the one who built his house on the rock is the one who heard my words, did him. He actually did what I asked. When I came to him and said, this is what's stopping you. Sell your riches, give to the poor. Break the power of money over your life. When he dealt with that, his house stood. But the one who stood there and heard me say the same thing to him and turned around and didn't do it, well, his house collapsed in a heap and great was its fall. If we're going to be the people God wants us to be, if you're going to break free in those areas that you feel God's been speaking to you about and stand in that place of satisfaction, I'm here to tell you today, this is, this is what God laid on my heart. You're not going to do it on your own and you're not expected to. See, when you came to Christ, God deposited his spirit inside of you. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, talking about salvation. He says, I'll take out your heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh, I'll take out your dead spirit, I'll give you a live spirit. Then he says this, then he says, I'll put my spirit inside of you and I will cause you to walk in my ways. I will cause you. I will cause you. I will give you spiritual momentum. You take that pedal, you do that first one, I'll put my foot in and I will pedal like mad for the second, third, fourth, fifth rotation and I will push you in that direction. I will do it. It's my commitment to you. I don't want us to think that we read this and we go, I could do all this in my own strength. We can't do it. Trying to get help from self. Self sucks. But God's awesome. God's awesome. I just want to pray for us. And then I, I, I just wonder, Christy, if you can lead us in... Um, and what a beautiful name. I know I've gone a few minutes over time and I, I, I don't like to do that. But I just really felt today that God wanted to open up the front here and God wants us to pray with some people here. If that's you, just as we worship, I just want you to, to come on forward. No pressure. You don't have to. It's not a performance but I do believe for whatever reason today God specifically said I, I want to pray for some people so I want us to pray for some people so we're just going to sing this song we're going to open up the front uh, if you want prayer just come on forward I'll just invite those people in our ministry team to come on forward and pray as well pray for these people but if you need to go that's fine I've uh, no dramas don't feel like we're going to think you're unspiritual but uh, just just respect the moment if you need to, to disappear so Father I just thank you for your word I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit, I thank you for the power of God. Lord, I thank you that, uh, Father, we are dust to a human God, and you understand that. God, you knew that we couldn't make it into heaven, so you sent Jesus to die for us. You did the work. And God, I know that you're aware too that to be the people that you want us to be is going to take more than our own intellect, our own willpower. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So, Father, we just pray right now. God, speak to people, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Silence the boast of sin. 
there's going to be somebody out there this week that doesn't know God you're going to come across their path and you're going to be a chance to be salt and light so take that opportunity have a great week guys